Straw Hut Media. Truth be told, there hasn't been a lot of diversity when it comes to United States presidents. In fact, besides Barack Obama, the position has exclusively gone to older white men. One of those old white men, JFK, was Catholic, and that was a big deal. Another old white guy, James Buchanan, was gay. Maybe. Today we'll talk about him, his companion, and their relationship in the years just before the Civil War. Dr. Eric Cervini is with us again this week as we dive into part four of our series on the queer history of the United States. We know you're home because we're all home right now. So stick around. I'm Levi Chambers, and this is Pride. Where are we in history today? Well, we have been talking about uh, what were possibly uh, homosexual relationships or homosexual behavior up until the middle of the 19th century. So really up until uh, the Civil War. And today we're going to be talking about uh, the president who was in office immediately before uh, the Civil War, who many scholars have wondered whether he was, in fact, uh, a gay man. And his name was James Buchanan. That's right. Long before the days of Pete Buttigieg, we had a president who may very well have been gay. And even though Pete is out of the running for the Democratic ticket now, someone did ask him about it while he was on the campaign trail. Uh, And he recently said, my gaydar is not great to begin with, and it definitely doesn't work over long stretches of time. So I think we'll have to let historians figure that one out. So maybe that's what we can do today. Let's do it. James Buchanan was from Pennsylvania originally. After almost being expelled from college, he graduated with honors and then served in the War of 1812 and became a successful lawyer. Around 1819, uh, he was considered to be the city's most eligible bachelor. He met a woman named Anne Coleman, a 23-year-old heiress of an iron fortune, and they got engaged. And even though... You know, it it looked like it should have been a really good match. She was extremely successful. She was considered good looking and very, very rich. Um, Suddenly there were problems. There were a lot of rumors that he was using her for her money and meeting other women. He was constantly out of town. And you look at some of the letters and and the records uh, from the time, and it becomes pretty apparent that he just was not putting in enough effort. So Anne got tired of it. She broke off the engagement and went to stay with relatives in Philadelphia. But not long after, she died of what the doctor called hysterical convulsions. Side note, hysteria, which we now know as the blanket medical term for women behaving badly, was being diagnosed as late as 1980. In other words, Anne was depressed and something happened. And so there were rumors at the time that it may have actually been a suicide. One scholar even referred to Buchanan's behavior toward his fiancée as negligent. Um, And in fact, one of the reasons we don't know that much information about the relationship is uh, before his death as as an older man, Buchanan actually ordered whoever executed his will to burn all the letters uh, with Anne. What we do know is that this was Buchanan's one and only relationship or attempt at a relationship 
with a woman. He was a bachelor for the rest of his life, and he was the only president in our history um, who served as, uh, as, as a bachelor. Politically, Buchanan started out as a Republican Federalist, a lot like Alexander Hamilton. He was pro-bank, pro-tariff, and anti-war. Plus, he had grown up in Pennsylvania, which was above the Mason-Dixon line, and therefore, the North. But then, things changed. He joined the Democratic Party under, under Andrew Jackson. Um, and that uh, is when he met uh, William Rufus Devane King. His boyfriend. <laughs> uh, well, so that's, that's kind of the big mystery. Before we go on, something to remember about the U.S. during this time period is that the political parties were different. The Democrats were pro-slavery, like Andrew Jackson, and the Republicans were anti-slavery, like Abe Lincoln. So King, originally from North Carolina, was a Democrat, a pro-slavery guy. He represented Alabama in the Senate, and he was one of the founders of the town of Selma, Alabama, which was the site of Martin Luther King Jr.'s historic civil rights march. King was no American hero by today's standards, and like Buchanan, he had his own story why he would never love another woman. He was working in Russia as, as on the American mission there. Supposedly, he fell in love with this this princess from from Prussia, but nothing ever came from it. And for the rest of his life, he complained about having this you know wayward heart after that experience, and supposedly he could never love again. So he also was this lifelong bachelor. When King and Buchanan first met each other in Congress in 1821, they had very different politics. After all, Buchanan was from the North, and King was from the South. But they got along and became supporters of Andrew Jackson. And at Buchanan's urging, uh, they started living together. And, you know, these communal boarding houses, right, they, they uh, were very common in Washington. They were, it was still a very, very small uh, southern city. Um, and so often these congressmen who, you know, were traveling back and forth between uh, their, their districts and Washington, they often lived together just to, to save money. Except that neither of them really needed to save money. At first, the boarding house was home to Buchanan, King, and two other congressmen. But then, as the other men were voted out of their seats, it ended up being just the two of them. They lived with each other for 16 years. And they certainly could have lived apart, but they chose to stick together. So what evidence do we have to support the idea of a romantic relationship between Buchanan and King? A lot of it, Eric says, is circumstantial. And it all comes down to, of course, the letters. But we don't have that many letters. We only have around five dozen of them. Because and we know he likes to burn letters. Exactly. So he likes to burn letters. So that's one thing. Even though we know Buchanan had his letters with Anne burned, we actually do have some letters from King to Buchanan. What we don't have are the letters from Buchanan to King. And there are a few reasons for that. First of all, King's family plantation was raided during the Civil War, so a lot of things were destroyed. Second, there was a flood that wiped out more property. And third, and most importantly, Buchanan's letters to King were marked private and confidential, so he probably burned them after reading them. However, many of the letters Buchanan wrote to other people survived. One thing that's interesting about the letters, though, is Buchanan really liked to gossip, especially with older women, kind of in, in Washington society. And when he described events and parties in his letters, he did something interesting. He never described the physical features of women, but he very often did it with men. 
So, you know, if he was describing the people at a party, he might say, oh, this person was, this uh, woman was there. And also this really athletic, you know, tall, uh, sightly guy was there too. And so that kind of makes you wonder. So that's kind of the first piece of circumstantial evidence we have. Another piece of evidence we have is how both Buchanan and King were described by other people. Buchanan's critics, for example, said his voice was shrill and feminine. And they criticized him for having wholly beardless cheeks. People noticed that the two spent a lot of time together. Around Washington, people called them the Siamese twins. One of their critics called them Miss Nancy and Aunt Fancy. And in 1844, Tennessee Congressman Aaron Brown wrote a confidential letter to future First Lady Sarah Polk. Uh, where he said, Mr. Buchanan looks gloomy and dissatisfied, and so did his better half, so that's referring to King, uh, until a little private flattery in certain newspaper puff, which you doubtless notice, excited hopes that by, by getting a divorce, she might set up again in the world to some tolerable advantage. The letter goes on. Aunt Fancy may now be seen every day, tricked out in her best clothes and smirking about in hopes of securing better terms than with her former companion. So everyone around them was using this language to maybe suggest that something was going on. Some of the best evidence comes from the period of time when King went abroad to serve as minister to France in 1844. And so he wrote while he was away to Buchanan, I am selfish enough to hope that you will not be able to procure an associate who will cause you to feel no regret at our separation. It makes you wonder, what did he mean by associate? What may have he meant by saying, all right, you, maybe you can find someone else who will fulfill your needs. The language is suggestive, but not explicit. Exactly. And they, they're very aware, right, that these letters, if they keep them, um, would end up, especially as, as political uh, figures at the, you know, a pretty crucial time in American history, there was a good chance that either their family members or even the public would be able to actually have access to these letters. And so that's why the really private ones, of course, were destroyed. Uh, because they knew if they got out, then they'd both be going down for whatever they contained. During this time, Buchanan also seemed to be missing his companion. He wrote a letter to Cornelia Van Ness Roosevelt, the great aunt of Theodore Roosevelt. And he said, I envy Colonel King the pleasure of meeting you and would give anything in reason to be the party for a single week. I am now solitary and alone, having no companion in the house with me. I've gone a-wooing to several gentlemen, but have not succeeded with any one of them. I feel that it is not good for man to be alone, and should not be astonished to find myself married to some old maid who can nurse me when I am sick, provide dinners for me when I am well, and not expect me any very ardent or romantic affection." So clearly, uh, <laughs> he... Um, he was trying to woo a dude. Trying to find a guy. But then he was like, fuck it. If, I mean, worst crap. comes to worst. I'll just marry an old maid and she'll make my food and like wipe my butt when I'm old. Right. And he has no interest in sort of romantic affection. After the break, we'll decide whether we really want to claim Buchanan anyway. Welcome back. Before the break, we looked at what kind of evidence there is to suggest the relationship between James Buchanan and William King was more than platonic. 
And as fun as it is to speculate, it's important to also remember that these were definitely not the good guys in American history. There's a bit of a dark side about the relationship, which of course comes back to slavery. So even though Buchanan came from an abolitionist part of Pennsylvania, uh, King and his politics rubbed off on him, uh, so to speak. So uh, pretty quickly, uh, Buchanan started tolerating slavery in the institution, thinking of it as kind of a necessary institution just to keep the, the country together. And abolitionists were of course, really pissed off and labeled him a doe face, which is a northern man uh, with southern principles. Um, and he didn't really care because he thought, OK, this is a necessary part of my politics if I want to become president. And it's entirely possible that Buchanan was that politician we see in movies and television, one that is willing to forfeit any and all convictions in order to get elected. What's really crazy is they had this dream of getting into power together. It seems very House of Cards-esque, right? There was this, this um, political power couple, so to speak, uh, even if it was platonic, and they really wanted to be president and vice president. Buchanan clearly thought he was choosing the winning side by joining the Democrats. Even though King was passed over for vice president in 1844, in 1848, President James Polk announced that he was not seeking re-election. So they actually schemed Buchanan and King to form a bachelor ticket, and they actually came uh, pretty close to making it happen. But they didn't quite make it together. And while it may have been romantic for them to move into the White House together, it isn't necessarily what we're rooting for. After all, they were the pro-slavery guys. But the following election, Franklin Pierce is elected president and King is chosen to serve as his VP. But this is where things get a little crazy. Uh, King gets sick with tuberculosis. Um, and so he goes down to Cuba to recuperate. Uh, Congress actually passes an act that allows him to take his oath of office as vice president in Cuba. Um, but he doesn't get any better. 45 days, so less than two months after uh, he takes his oath of office as vice president, uh, he dies of tuberculosis. So he's one of the shortest living vice presidents in history. Before King had secured the role of vice president, Buchanan had spoken publicly on many occasions to speak to his abilities. He says publicly that King was among the best, purest, and most consistent public men I have ever known, and is also a sound, judging, and discreet fellow. But after King's death, it was a totally different story. Buchanan didn't make any eulogies or public statements about his lifelong companion. Even as the country mourned the death, Buchanan kept his communication private and reserved essentially just repeating the phrases he had used during the election. One scholar, Dr. Thomas J. Balserski, who wrote a book called Bosom Friends, The Intimate World of James Buchanan and William Rufus King, came to the conclusion that there just isn't enough evidence to authoritatively say that Buchanan was gay or that there was any kind of sexual relationship between him and King. But he did say that King was more attracted to Buchanan, right? So he, there was a little bit more evidence to suggest that, if anyone, we had a first uh, vice president who may have been gay, uh, even though that term, of course, was not used at the time. He may have been the one who, if we brought him here to 2020, would have identified as uh, a homosexual or gay. Okay, so what did Thomas Balchersky say about their relationship? 
Well, Balchersky concluded after looking at all the evidence, uh, he said, quote, I think we stand on firmer ground with King about whom the evidence suggests that he was gay. Not only does his correspondence reveal a greater struggle with his failure to marry, but the political gossip swirling about him was more virulently gendered. Balsersky even suggests that Buchanan may have used King when he wanted and ignored him when it was inconvenient. It ends up being kind of a sad story because the other thing that uh, Buchanan is known for uh, in history is being one of the worst presidents of all time. Oh, right. That. So beyond probably being a general asshole, he was also a terrible president. Three years after King died, Buchanan was elected president in 1856. He won with 45% of the votes in a three-way race. We already know that he was very racist and pro-slavery. In the fact that, you know, Dred Scott came out at the time, which said, uh, this was the Supreme Court decision that said that anyone of African descent, free or slave, could not be a U.S. citizen. So probably one of the worst Supreme Court decisions in the history of our country. Um, he supported it. But supporting the Dred Scott decision in 1857 was not unpopular at the time. After all, the Supreme Court ruled 7-2 to two that the descendants of slaves were not U.S. citizens and therefore had no right to sue. On top of that, Buchanan was actually really corrupt. Um, so he was trading contracts for political support. He was bribing newspapers. Um, his secretary of war was stealing from the War Department, and he refused to fire him. Uh, and so eventually in 1860, he was, he was censured by Congress. The silver lining of Buchanan's terrible presidency was that he gave his successor, the one and only Abraham Lincoln, a very strong campaign platform. He split the election into four so that Lincoln could win with 40% of the vote and not even a single ballot from 10 of the 15 southern states. When Buchanan met Lincoln in the White House to hand over the reins, he said to Lincoln, my dear sir, if you are as happy on entering the White House as I am on leaving, you are a very happy man indeed. Even though Trump may be giving him a run for his money, Buchanan has been widely regarded as the worst president of all time. And the American public knew it right away. They blamed him for the Civil War. They vandalized his portrait in the U.S. Capitol until it had to be taken down. It's actually a little bit reminiscent of Donald Trump's star on the Walk of Fame in Hollywood, which keeps getting inexplicably fucked up with a sledgehammer. The difference is, I guess, that Buchanan let the public run him out of town. I like to think he, he, he became a bit of a bitter old queen uh, in his last years. He retired back to uh, Pennsylvania in 1861, and a few years later he publishes memoirs, and he blamed uh, the abolitionists for causing the Civil War, and then he died just a couple years after that. And uh, he wrote to a friend, I've always felt and still feel that I discharged every public duty imposed on me conscientiously. I have no regret for any public act of my life, and history will vindicate my memory. Well, history definitely didn't vindicate his memory. It's, it's a bit interesting to, to think that, you know, uh, maybe... Yes, maybe today we would consider him as gay if we brought him here, but also it makes you wonder whether we even want this to be our first gay president. So I think I'm, I'm, I personally am pretty comfortable saying, eh, maybe if there was some sort of romantic relationship between Buchanan and King, uh, that doesn't necessarily that mean that we need to claim this pretty terrible president as our own. Drake, you can have him. You can have him, exactly. Hate him, we're not claiming him. Thank you. 
So for next week's episode, tell me where we're going to go. Uh, so next week we'll be talking about how the homosexual identity came to be in the latter half of the 19th century and how we went from homosexual activity to being a homosexual. is a production of Straw Hut Media. If you like the show, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're tuning in from. Share us with your friends, subscribe, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Pride. You can follow me at Levi Chambers, and you can find Dr. Eric Cervini at E-R-I-C-C-E-R-V-I-N-I. Please stay safe and healthy out there, listeners. Wash your hands, stay home, drink plenty of water, and listen to podcasts. Pride is produced by me, Levi Chambers, Maggie Bowles, and Ryan Tillotson. Edited by Sebastian Alcala. I can't stop thinking about, like, can you imagine, like, the whole pick or the dick pick back then? Would it, would it have been, like, draw it for me? Mail it, draw it so I know what it looks <laughs> like, and then mail it to me.